live uh, again. We're we're back, Terry. Yes, we made it back. We made it back successfully. So good job by us. Good job by everyone who's shown up to join us. Uh, and uh, perhaps chief <laughs> among those who have come to join us that we're very happy to see is uh, is our friend Steve Jordans. Uh, so Steve, welcome to this week in higher ed. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. yeah. So Found Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe uh, do you want to introduce yourself? I know you and Terry go way back, but I'd love to hear. <laughs> love to, to hear the, the COVID yeah. era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, just a quick introduction. I, I teach psychology at University of Toronto Scarborough, um, and uh, I do a lot of educational technology work and a lot of work around e-learning in general. Uh, more recently, at the beginning of COVID, I created a free online course, uh, a massive open online course on Coursera.org, uh, just to teach people about anxiety, how it comes about and how mm. they can manage it. Just seemed like the time people maybe want to learn a little bit about why they feel like they do. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and that has sort of put me in a little bit of a spotlight here in Canada. So it's, uh, I'm now a, a media, frequent media kind of guy, which is fun. It's always yeah. interesting. Yes, but not only in Canada, here in the U.S. Yeah. as well. Now you've, we, you've, you've truly arrived. I mean, you're on you're on. <laughs> This week in higher ed, so so congrats, congratulations. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so uh, so so Terry, any like what's uh, what's top of mind for you? Like this is the the just what's capturing our attention uh, segment, which we thought we'd bring you in for, Steve, uh, just to especially maybe to get a, a little more insight into what's happening uh, north of the border for those of us who are talking about the U.S. Yeah. Uh, Canada border. Uh, do you want to start there, Terry? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm really curious because, you know, obviously we're tracking pretty closely what's going on in higher ed. And I, I put the link to the New York Times article that's tracking cases in mm. higher ed. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm really curious kind of what the situation is in Canada right now. Yeah, we're not hearing, I mean, we hear more stories about U.S. than we, than we do here. And I think there's a few factors. We, we are not as sports team oriented, so we're not all eager to bring back our alumni and rally around the sports kind of thing. Uh, so I think generally we've been much more, much less likely to have in-person learning or, or to at least keep it as as you know, down to seminars and, and lab kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard occasionally a student here or there, there was a little bit at the beginning of the school year about parties off campus uh, at a couple of places here, but not really, it doesn't dominate the news. We hear a lot more about what's happening in America in, in that case than, than here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And more, and more broadly, if you were to just characterize how Canada is doing, you know, cause it, the U S looks like we're heading into a tough phase in terms of case growth. We, we saw a lot of that, you know, Germany just announced uh, some yeah. major uh, restrictions being imposed. How, how have things been going just more broadly in Canada? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all very wary. We have seen growth as along with you guys, but I think not not the same pace. It started to feel like it was getting up quick, but then at least in Ontario, um, in, in, in the West, we've seen more growth than we had seen so far. So the West is showing more active mm -hmm. cases than in a long time. But it kind of feels like we're growing, but it's not out of control yet. It's not, you know, no hospitals are overwhelmed, yeah. but they're obviously very stressed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of had that situation, but I think it's a little bit of hold your breath to see if this is, you know, going to continue up or if it's a real plateau. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned anxiety. I, I think, you know, even for people outside of the U.S., the, the election is bringing anxiety. Um, we have the Black Lives Matter protest. There is recent outbreak in Philadelphia because of a police shooting oh, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and so I, I think there. I'm just curious, um, you know, it, how issues of diversity are. <laughs> I have several friends up in Canada, especially in um, Alberta and British Columbia, who have been dealing with. Uh, the Black Lives Matter issues as well. And I'm just curious if you're how you're seeing that play out in Canada. Yeah, I mean, certainly, for example, at, at UTSC, this has really triggered a, a very, very serious look at, at equity issues. And we're doing a lot of uh, literally conferences, seminars around microaggressions, you know, all these things. So it's a real push, at least especially on my campus, to make people more aware of these things and, and give them a sense of, of different perspectives on these issues. There is that overarching sense we have that, um, it's worse in America, you know, mm -hmm. the, these situations, but it's still here. So, so that's, you know, what we hear a lot of. Don't think this is only an American issue. We certainly have issues with, with racial equality here as well, and mm -hmm. we have a lot to learn ourselves. Um, so, so just to, you know, once again, sort of a, a little less extreme version, I think, of what you guys are going through. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly is touching here. And, and just as 
as one example that people don't usually think about, I, I just created a course for police officers for dealing with stress and anxiety because I think we sometimes, you know, don't think about how hard this is on them, which was already a stressful job, but everyone's looking at them almost right away, waiting for them to to do, you know, waiting for them to be a jerk, basically, right. when you're out there, and it's it's been a challenging time for for a lot of them as well. So, yeah, yeah, complex yeah. issues. Yeah, and even the the sort of full span of time that we're dealing with here, or it looks like we're going to be dealing with here, is the other thing. I saw an article you posted on LinkedIn where you were quoted around uh, the coronavirus, COVID. Yeah, there there it is. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Pandemic fatigue, which isn't uh, isn't just for Canada anymore. So like we uh, we all are experiencing it uh, as along with Zoom fatigue, along with all sorts of stresses and anxieties, but uh, particularly when that stress creates like a negative feedback loop around your health and around maintaining yeah. good behavioral practices around COVID prevention. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's really a core message to get out of here is that anxiety, when we feel anxiety, it's supposed to be a short-term thing. It's supposed to be like a predator emerged from the bushes and we're either going to fight it or we're going to run away from it and then it goes and we get a break from it. We've had chronic levels of stress and anxiety since March, all you know, literally all of us. And that puts cortisol in our body, mm -hmm. which actually suppresses the function of our immune system. It makes us more susceptible to like a virus. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important that people um, get a break from their anxiety every now and then. And and you know, the message I want to always give out there is that's doable. Um, but, and it's doable sometimes in very simple, easy ways, like just basics, like getting good sleep and eating well and exercising regularly. Mm -hmm. But even other things like learning those things in your life that take your mind away from COVID. Um, for me now, I, I can write songs using GarageBand and I go to the basement with my guitars and, and my little ideas in my head. And for an hour or two hours, COVID is gone. Right. For me, that's the medicine. And we all have our things, but figure out what your things are and, and realize that they're medicine and, yeah. and use them, schedule them in your day. Give yourself a break from the anxiety every now and then. Very, really, really very important. Yeah. And for, for you, it's medicine. For me, I'm thinking it's a segment idea. I'm ready to cut to your, your basement uh, with you playing <laughs> playing the, the COVID blues, you know, but, uh, but we'll, we'll have, I have to... a video I could share here. Nice. Nice. That's good. Yeah. We all need, uh, those moments of moments of joy, uh, and, and whatnot. But, uh, and then the other thing, uh, Steve, you know, I mentioned zoom fatigue, but, uh, you know, in your other capacity, you know, you're really a leader in understanding how to design, uh, online learning experiences, uh, you know, the, the teaching and learning groups, uh, you know, they, they go by different centers for teachers and learning, whatever they're called, uh, are really, in some ways, some of the unsung heroes of uh, the pandemic response thus far. But uh, but we'd love to hear more from, you know, thank you for your service and thanks everybody who's doing that type of work. But uh, but I'd love to hear you talk more about what it's been like. Uh, you're kind of the the busiest man in uh, in educational technology in some ways, but uh, but we'd love to hear a little more from you. Uh, you know, what's it been like this year? And uh, do you have any recommendations or insights around how we can navigate this better uh, moving forward? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it's been absolutely a breathtaking year. And, and it is true that our centers of teaching and learning have been forced really to step up in, in a huge, powerful way and, and to do what they've been doing in a small scale suddenly on a, on a very large scale. And it's amazing how far they've gone. That said, here, here's an analogy I like to use. It's kind of like we're in a situation where uh, we had all these people living in a space of e-learning, and those tended to be the very education-minded, the people who knew the literature of teaching and learning, and they really were working hard to create rich online learning experiences. And then suddenly, there was a forced migration of maybe 90% of their colleagues into their space. Mm -hmm. uh, and originally, these colleagues were just trying to get their lectures up and test do assessment for them, you know, summative assessments. Mm -hmm. And so now since then, since that first spring, and, and a lot of the discontent rightful uh, from students who felt like, you know, that was not a very good experience, we've been working hard and they've been working hard to try to up the game of everybody. And, and I think that's tricky. And one of the things I like to throw out there every now and then is this notion from, you know, COVID where we say, let the scientists lead. And, and I wanna see the doctors up there and their face in, in higher ed, the scientists of learning, the scientists of what we do 
are those people in our teaching and learning um, you know, centers? And I would love to see one, of, one or two of them at the side of a president when a president's talking about how they're meeting the e-learning challenges. I, I think these people, we should be letting our scientists lead uh, and, and giving them a strong voice as we all you know, try to figure out what this future of e-learning will look like. Uh, but I think it's full of promise is one thing to say. You know, it started tricky, but e-learning has a lot of um, valuable uh, uh, potential. Let me let me give one that I know Terry is very uh, focused on, which is, you know, ensuring a fair and equitable experience for all. There are technologies, including one that, that I've co-developed where um, all the student work is anonymous and they do things like peer assess each other's work and then they learn from feedback they receive. Um, but this is all done in an anonymous way where somebody does not know the gender of the person they're interacting with or the mm -hmm. cultural background of the person they're interacting with. All they know is their work. Uh, and that's the kind of potential e-learning can bring where we can immediately just make biases impossible uh, rather than trying to control, which isn't the bet. Obviously, we would love to have people have no biases to begin with, but they do. And if we can you know, bring them out of our education system, that's, that's a, one potential that e-learning can uh, deliver on, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really great. And, you know, you mentioned centers for teaching and learning, <clears throat> you know, the big institutions tend to have those, but I think where the struggle has been is for the smaller institutions, small private institutions. I mean, that's one of the reasons we created Brighter Higher Ed, AKA yep. the Center for Higher Education Leadership is to yep. help spread, you know, so you don't have to have a center for teaching and learning on every campus here or yep. professional development on every campus, you know, we can do it. Um, on a, on scale, and so I've I've seen a lot of different uh, organizations and um, folks offering their services in terms of helping faculty with with online learning, and you know I think that's something that we we should probably be doing some quality control around. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but but you know I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on you know are there some good things out there that people are offering. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the first thing I would say um, is it's really important that we be evidence based. So just as you know, before we get into specifics, I think a logic I really like is to start by, I mean, this is just backward course design in a way, but it's at an institutional level. What are the goals of your institution? What do you hope that students will graduate with? And I'll, I'll throw in a sort of pet thing of, of mind there. Yes, there's all the knowledge they'll gain, but I think we really formally need to think about this, the skills, the so-called transversal skills like critical thinking, creative mm -hmm. thinking. So we hope our students graduate with these skills as well. And so then when we look at e-learning approaches, we should look at them specifically about how will you help us reach these goals? And I think we should become very open to pitches but also very um, specific about what we want. So it would be, this is what we're interested in. When you come pitch, you tell me how your approach will help us reach these goals. And please, if you have some science to back that up, that's going to impress us even more. And so, you know, rather than us being the scouring person that finds all these things, I, I would love to see some almost sort of public area where people can pitch their approaches, and, and, but in a very clear way that connects with what our priorities are and then we can evaluate them. I, I am, I mean, this is going to be biased. Um, and so I'll try to say generally, I have a product in the market. I won't even talk about what that is. Um, but I will say that my, it, it captures what is what to me was the most powerful three things that I saw, which is peer assessment, self-assessment, and what's called the formative use of feedback, You know, mm -hmm. being able to take feedback and grow from it. Those are all things that have a great evidence base of their own. And there are now a number of technologies that allow you to do that at scale and that manages all the logistics. And so, you know, it's all about the educational experience and students like these because they get to see other students work. Uh, they're empowered because they're sort of take a teacher role at times. Mm. And I think they're very, very effective online or in person. So they're a good, what we call convertible approach that no matter what happens, you can continue with that. So that, that's the area I'm most excited about and working within. But there's a lot of cool technologies out there. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and also cool pedagogies too, because I think what yeah. you're just describing around getting good at giving and receiving feedback is something we all need. A, we need practice at it. Practice. Yeah. Talk to me yeah. about practice. So, like, we're talking about practice, uh, but uh, but I think also there are tips and um, techniques. I think that help with. Um, the more uh, social emotional aspects of of this stuff, which I think also connects to that broad sense of fatigue and stress that we're all under, 
So um, really from both of you, I'd love to get some perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to sing Whitney. I like to sing. I, I get socio-emotional, baby. There you go. <laughs> I try not to do it, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't resist. So uh, any thoughts on, aside from my singing voice, which I don't need any commentary on, uh, the thoughts on the connection to social-emotional uh, and then teaching that, modeling that, like that just seems so fundamental to all of this. I'd love to get both of you on that if possible. Maybe starting yeah, with you. I'll, yeah, either I'll let way. You start, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> sure, sure. So, so let's kind of start with like Carolyn Dweck's notion of this growth mindset. And, and when that's thrown out there, we all just sort of nod and go, yeah, everybody needs that growth mindset we don't realize how it's not natural uh, to some extent, um, especially in the context of feedback. When somebody gives you critical feedback, um, basically suggesting your current draft could be better, there's issues with it, that engages our sympathetic nervous system. It's the same thing COVID's engaging. It's that fight or flee reflex. And so 50% of students don't even read what, we, what you write on things, they flee. Uh, and the other 50% are probably just looking for something they can fight, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on. And we want them to do neither, to sit and think and learn. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so in order to teach them, which is a vital skill because then you become coachable, you become the kind of person that looks like they're growing into, into spaces, mm -hmm. but we have to kind of scaffold that. And, and so in our approach, we do things like when students get feedback, they have an assessment form they have to fill out about the feedback. So we make them engage with it mm -hmm. and, and we kind of guide their thought processes as they go through that. Um, and, and we also give them peer feedback, which is great because we can tell them, you know what, some of your peers know what they're talking about. Some don't have a clue. And mm -hmm. it's up to you when you get feedback to, to literally take it from the source. Think about, you know, not who the source is, but think about what they say. Mm -hmm. And then you decide if you agree or not. So it's a great, con a great place for engaging critical thought uh, mm -hmm. as people go through. And then ultimately telling the student, you got five pieces of feedback. Incorporate the stuff you think was good. Ignore the stuff you think was bad. But also tell us why you ignored that stuff. Don't just mm -hmm. ignore it. You know, when you say it's bad, give us a principled reason. Uh, show, mm -hmm. show us you thought about it. So that can, that can force people to think. Now, as part of that process, I also get them to rate the emotions they felt when they received the feedback. And that all goes back to the feedback givers. So they can see mm. how, you know, what emotions my feedback provoked. And quite mm. often what they realize is, I didn't mean to make people upset. I thought I was being helpful, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so to get that sort of emotional, socio-emotional kind of feedback loop going, mm -hmm. where they're both giving and receiving feedback, seeing it from both sides and seeing the reaction to their feedback. I, th I think that's a really rich learning experience for people to get um, and, and to go through and, and sort of take with them as they go through life and get feedback from other sources. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to talk about empathy. Yeah, <laughs> because because uh, that's what you're basically talking about, Steve, is you're actually helping people practice empathy. And for those who don't know, I have a book on radical empathy coming out in February. <laughs> but, um, but the reason I mention empathy is because I think as teachers, especially those of us coming into this as, you know, as PhDs and subject matter experts, we don't get a lot of training in teaching. And so you know, one of the things that I've always tried to utilize is this idea of empathy in my teaching, because if I can put myself in the foots of the, the, or the shoes of my students, then, and try to think about, um, you know, what are some of the factors that are playing into their, their responses, you know, and, and it's, it's a situation where practicing empathy, it's, that's what you're, you know, it's literally practicing empathy. You, you, know, you get feedback, you see what the, you know, what Steve's talking about, you know, how are students responding emotionally to the things, you know, your, your responses and, and yes, exactly. Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to promote ourselves all of this. Yeah, time. yeah. Um, but no, seriously, um, you know, I, I can't stress enough the importance of, you know, practicing empathy and because if we don't practice and if we don't, um, you know, put ourselves out there. And, you know, one of the things though, is this, uh, one of the number one thing I, I start with is this willingness to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm, and yeah. so you, you have to think about the fact that when you're grading something for a student, that is the most vulnerable, <laughs> not yeah. the most, but it's one of the most vulnerable positions that they're in, right? They are presenting their work to you. And that's why I like the peer approach, because when you're, when you're, you know, just it's a you know your friend down you know in, across the hall is grading you know or giving you feedback. It's it's a lot less 
confrontational than that those red pins that mm -hmm. we professors use, right? Yeah. And um, and you know, I think there's a tendency to think, oh, these millennials and stuff, you know, they're they're so fragile. It's like it's not that they're fragile. It's that um, you know, they it, it's a whole, it's just it's it's always been this way, right? <laughs> I mean, I I could I mean, I remember back in graduate school, there were times I would just not even look at the you were, you said this earlier. I wouldn't even look at the comments that my professor yeah. gave me. You yeah. know, you have to, but um, it's 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 just so, I mean, graduate, people describe graduate school as just being this constant barrage of negative feedback, because that's what it is. You know, yeah. you, you, every time you, you turn something in, you're going to get negative feedback because that's what your professors are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea that we could, you know, really, and so that's why I think I was a more empathetic professor when I was working with my graduate students, because, you know, I realized, and it's incremental feedback is another really important component mm -hmm. of this. You know, rather than, you know, we talk about high stakes testing, mm -hmm. you know, if all you're offering, you know, for in terms of feedback is a midterm and a final, you know, forget right. it. I mean, right. you know, yeah. some they're just a certain group of students who are just not going to respond well to that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you can have the, I always had um, weekly assignments and it's a lot of grading, but, you know, that gives students a chance to see, first of all, they need to understand what you're looking for. Because I think a lot of times our students don't understand what a professor wants. And I even yeah. see that with my high schooler, you know, um, you know, so you, they need to understand and, and, you know, you need to convey to students through these assessments, what are what exactly are you looking for? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because we can't assume these students are coming in and understand, you know, exactly what you want from an assignment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that's the hardest part for faculty to understand is that, you know, the students are purposely trying to fail your class, right. <laughs> you right. know? Right. And so for me, my, my mantra was if, if a student is failing my class and they're every day and, you know, putting in an effort, then something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, if I if I can just jump on a, a couple points with that too. So one of them is, you know, we want our students to have this revisionist mindset, and I agree, most of us got it in graduate school um, because we were just nailed with it. But um, you know, we kind of teach our students in K to twelve that you we give you a task, there's a due date, you work, you work, you work, you create that, and it's done. And now you're on to your next task and you create it and it's done. And then suddenly they get to university and we have this notion, oh, you have to be open to growth. Think of this as a first draft. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's not natural to them. And, and the other point I would add too, is that, you know, in addition to telling them what you expect, um, I think it's very powerful when an instructor can tell students why I'm asking you to do this. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a reason. And if you can connect it to their future success, and if you can show them some research um, to back up what you're doing, they may not read it. But that really gives them a sense of, okay, there's a reason I'm doing this. This isn't some you know, silly task. And that's why I like authentic assessment too, because that's a little more obvious you mm -hmm. know, if there is a real purpose to it. But um, it's really important and really powerful for faculty if they can do that. And so I would encourage that, you know, here's an activity, here's what I'm asking you to do, here's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to prepare you for. And that helps them understand the whole purpose of it as well. And then they can show you what they can do. But if they don't understand, they're never going to be able to demonstrate their potential. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that a little bit, Steve, the, the idea of formative versus summative assessments is something yeah. those, you know, inside assessment and inside maybe uh, centers for teaching and learning understand, but doesn't always translate outward. And I think people tend to drop it a bit as a buzzword and yeah. not necessarily understand it with some depth. So uh, since we have access to you as an expert on this, I'd love to get a little more of your perspective on the differences uh, and in particular, some of the pot the potential upside around uh, thinking in a more formative rather than a summative way. Yeah, so so just to be clear of that, you know, our, our traditional way of thinking about assessment is that we did some learning and now the test is to measure the learning. And, and so that's a very uh, assessment of learning kind of approach. The, the term I heard that kind of turned my head around on all this is somebody said to me, students are never more engaged than when we're testing them. Mm. We, we have their mind fully at that time. They are there, they're engaged, they want to do well. And so there's learning potential. You know, that's what we want in every class. We want mm. our students to be there and engaged. Well, if we have them there in the, in the assessment situation, why not use it? And so for me, for example, uh, when it comes to assessment for learning, we have 
this this M tuner product that we use. That's something we created. Uh, but it's it's all about giving students a first chance to guess at something, a multiple choice kind of thing. So first of all, we don't even show them the options first. We say, what do you think the right answer is? And we give them what's called retrieval practice. So try to pull that answer out of their mind first. And then, okay, which of these? And if they pick wrong, it's like, okay, that's not right. We're pushing you to your e-textbook or we're pushing you back to a, a video of the lecture. Watch it again, come back for half marks. And so the idea is, yes, we're kind of assessing what they know to some level, but what we're really trying to do is get rid of their misconceptions, correct those, strengthen the things they have right. And so to use the, the assessment itself as a way of, of strengthening that knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the final thing I'll say is that sort of peer assessment approach we were talking about earlier, that's a real strong example of what's called assessment as learning, mm -hmm. where yes, you do get an assessment, you do get a grade, let's say, out the other side. But it's really about the process people are going through um, while you're getting that grade. That's that's where the rich learning is going on. So we're mm. really using the assessment as an excuse to put them through a really rich, powerful learning experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and and more and more, that's you know, I think what we need to do in e-learning because you can also bring students together. You can create sort of communities of learning around these activities mm -hmm. um, and and get them feeling like they're all doing something together, which is really important in e-learning that they don't feel alone. Yeah. Uh, in their journey. Uh, and so there's, yeah, uh, I, I think assessment would be the one, like if I were new to the space, if I were one of the people that just said, okay, I worried about my final exams and my lectures, I think that's what I would, I would be mining now is mm -hmm. well, what, what could I be doing with my activities um, that could make them richer as well? Yeah. And there's a lot out there. Yeah. yeah. I love the, the, the peer to peer angle is really interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear more about whether you've seen any changes in terms of what, people are seeking out in light of the pandemic response and the fact that more stuff has gone online. And then Terry, just to kind of maybe round that out, I'm talking about empathy. Um, I was thinking about how empathy might be related to burnout. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, so I think the, maybe there are separate topics, but I definitely want to make sure I heard more from, well, from both think, of you on both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can add on to that, um, you know, because I was thinking how these are connected because as I was just listening to Steve talk, I was like, oh, my God, you know, if, if I was in if I was teaching right now, I would listen to what Steve's saying and start to feel overwhelmed. Mm. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I got to be thinking about this and this yeah. and this and this. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think there's there's. A, so, yes, we want to do all these things. But what I was thinking about as you we were talking is how do we and you sort of did this right. How do we prioritize? And. Yeah. We, I guess we still have to think of ourselves as kind of being in an, emer well, we are in an emergency situation. Yeah. You know, it's not like we had a year, years, you know, and obviously online learning has been going on for years, but like you were saying at the beginning, you know, we have all these people who weren't online migrating in, and then the people who are already online, you know, some of them are feeling stressed out and burned out because they're having to help these people who are coming yeah. from the face-to-face mm -hmm. -face world. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this big collision of, you know, oh my God, these people are stressed out because they have to come online. Oh my God, these people are stressed out because they're having to help the people who are coming online. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do we prioritize in that context? Yeah, and, and, then there, and there's a sort of a social discomfort that often is left unspoken, um, mm -hmm. but, I, but I will speak it now. <laughs> it causes people discomfort. We are professors, we are our craft, our part of our craft is supposed to be teaching, part is research. The research part, we really learned in grad school. They taught us all the skills and theory and approaches and how to do research right. The teaching part, they kind of said, well, you guys have seen it, just yeah. go do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so when you suddenly start saying formative versus summative assessment to someone who's supposed to be a professional, who, who is a professional teacher, mm -hmm. but you're talking to them about terms that you would think a professional in that world should know. And yeah, they yeah. Don't. Yeah. And now, now there's this feeling like, oh my goodness. And so maybe a desire not to ask questions, not. So I think, you know, Terry's right. We have to be very careful not to overwhelm, mm -hmm. uh, very careful to prioritize and kind of say, okay, let's just learn a little bit at a time and, and let's take you by the hand without, without treating you like a child. So there's right. this condition where you have grown up professionals mm -hmm. that have to learn sort of the theory and, and stuff of the craft um, mm -hmm. almost anew. And right. so I think that's a very, you need a lot of empathy. I think if you're one of these leaders, you need to understand where they're coming from. There has to be very little judgment involved. It's just mm -hmm. about helping you kind of up your game. Uh, and, and there's a, 
I don't know where this figure came from, to be honest. I was talking to another teaching and learning director, but she said it takes three years to fully develop an online course. Yeah. In my experience, that feels right. You know, you kind of get the bones and then you start adding. And I, and I think we need an acceptance of that too. We don't have to, you know, we can't expect our faculty to be game ready in, in January. You, you've had a year, let's go. You know, it, it may take a while. There may be multiple iterations before they really kind of get their online groove going. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just have to try to support that as a, as a sort of slow migration. It's tough on the students because they have to ride this out with us. Um, right. but, but that's the right way to get there, I think, which almost feels like COVID once again. <laughs> it takes a while to get to where we want to get, oh, but we got to do it yeah. in a programmatic right way if we want to get there. Yeah. Well, and I, th I think what we're seeing now with COVID, you know, Europe is, you know, unfortunately uh, on the hockey, uh, exponentially growing. Um, we're probably why always a hockey stick. Don't pick on us, Canadian. Why don't we just call it exponent? <laughs> hey, exponential, fine. Um, but you know, uh, we're we're seeing. I think the U.S. is only a month or two behind that, right? Yeah. That's that's been the trend, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and actually, we're usually a lot. Our trend is a lot higher. So yeah. the reality is, we're looking at a spring semester where we're you know it's very likely we're going to be in the same modality as we are now or, or yep. even less face-to-face -face. Mm -hmm. um i think that uh there's a lot of faculty out there right now who are, are and i want to pull back the diversity component too because yep. um it's this multi-layered stress cake of mm -hmm. um you know and 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 as you talk about, I, I want to step back and talk about leadership a bit because you, you mentioned that. And I think that, you know, I talk a lot about inclusive leaders and, um, you know, but we have to think about the pressures that leadership have. I've, I've been a provost. I know what it's like to be in a situation when you're struggling financially and mm. you're trying to deal with faculty and you're trying to deal with students and parents and all of these different things. And so the stress level, I mean, if you think the stress, if, Faculty and students think the stress levels are bad. Try being a president or provost of a small private college in the Midwest who sure. is trying to figure out how they're going to get through the spring semester without any students in residence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. In any case, so I, I think, yeah. you know, what I'm trying to say is, you know, there's there's these broader pressures that are impacting higher ed. Right. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it's like, how can we pour money into online when we're just trying to keep our head above water mm -hmm. um and then on top of it you know our, our students are demanding that we you know focus on black lives matter and, and provide more resources to them and 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 you know these things are necessary it's not mm -hmm. like this is just stuff that that is you know nice to have so again i know priorities come into play but um in terms of just our our internal you know uh, wellness type of types of things. I, I think, you know, that we need to put some structure to this. Does that make sense? Yeah, structure and breaks at, at some yeah. level. I know a lot of people yeah. have been going literally since March. Uh, and, yeah. and I know we can't really vacation in the way we used to vacation. And it might even seem criminal to vacation at some level when there's so much to do. But there's been so much to do for so long. Um, yeah. I, I think we do need to find a way to give people breaks either at, at work. I, I would encourage a lot of people to look into something called guided relaxation. Just Google it. You'll find all sorts of things. Spend 15 minutes a day with your headphones on, lying down and letting somebody walk you through one of these relaxation exercises. Mm -hmm. You know, do, doing things like that now and then and scheduling that in. That is a meeting I have. And I'm going to schedule this as a meeting. And, and maybe a walk outside on a sunny day is a meeting. By the way, I don't know if you guys have seen the vitamin D news lately that 80% mm -hmm. of and in Europe, 80% of the people with COVID in the hospital were found to be vitamin D deficient. Well, it's I, un, I'm it's unclear. Vitamin D. Yeah, it's unclear if that's if that was a contributing or if, if COVID huh. somehow erodes vitamin D. I don't know, but hmm. that tells me like every sunny day is medicine. Yeah. And, and yeah. if there's a sunny day and you can take 15 or 20 minutes to walk outside, get some fresh air, mm. you know, to look after yourself. Because if you crash, you know, better to take a, some time off if you need to take two or three days off. Yeah. to recharge than to keep going and crash uh, yeah. and, and just drop and I, everything. The other thing that worries me, though, is that um, many campuses are canceling their fall breaks and their spring breaks because they want to compress the Ooh, semester. Really? Yeah. And so it's just like, wait a second, you know, we're, here we are talking about being able to take breaks, but then we're telling students and faculty, no, we're going to push through so we can have a, this shorter time span when yeah. we might get 
you know. And there's probably it. also virus. I mean, this this is a nasty thing this virus does to us every now and then. Where you know the, the idea of students going away and then coming back from a virus right. perspective is, is horrendous. And so yeah. we can say no, no, no. Let's just keep them in place once we have right. them in place. Right. It makes a lot of sense on on a viral level. But it can be very difficult on us on a, on a psychological level, mm-hmm. um, and so balancing these things and realizing that the psychology is also very important, but it, but also that um, there is I, I will paste in my uh, a link to my course online uh, that's free, um, but that there are things you can do and and to kind of learn and to use this as an opportunity to say okay let me understand anxiety and let me understand depression and let mm-hmm. me get a sense of the signs so that if I see them in myself or others I know what I'm seeing. I know what maybe can be done and, and knowledge is empowering. So it can make you feel a little bit more in control uh, just simply by understanding what your body is doing to you. So mm-hmm. I think this is a good time. I would love to see more um, in the K to 12 now of, of them actually teaching children about what anxiety is yeah. and, and how you could control it. I think this could help them all through their life, but especially help them now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, another thing I keep saying is this is a great time to learn about mental health. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's not something somebody else is experiencing anymore. It's weird. If you're not anxious, you're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then just to, it's a great time to learn about mental health. It's also a great time to learn about learning science, instructional design, uh, yeah. e-learning. Do you have any recommendations for folks who might be uh, watching this or listening to this uh, and they're beginning to ramp up on the learning side of the equation or the e-learning side of the equation in particular? Because I imagine, you know, if, if you don't know, uh, we better ask uh, ourselves what's going on. So I assume you have some ideas, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I mean, it is. So for me, it was the center of teaching and learning. Uh, as, as Terry says, I, I think she made a really good point earlier that, you know, I'm lucky to be at a, a large university where, in fact, we have three of these, mm. um, including one downtown. And, and they're just first rate people who really know what they're doing. And they also know the empathy skills that Terry is mm-hmm. talking about. So, you know, my first reaction was to say, find a colleague that you think is doing great and talk to them. But that colleague may know how to do things but may not know how to onboard you so to speak yeah whereas the center is, is probably better and and yeah if you don't have somebody like that i think if you're a small university it is time to find an organization like terry's mm-hmm. where and maybe group with a number of, of small universities where you can get access to that expertise yeah. because literally you know if you just start trying things sort of randomly what feels right um, you're going to get some frustration. You're going to try something. It's not going to work the way you want, and you're mm-hmm. going to get soured on the whole approach. So if, if the choices you make, if those first things you try are well thought out, and, and often that means having somebody else who kind of knows how to decide this is a good technology for you, mm-hmm. um, and, and then can just onboard you and get you used to that one, uh, I think that's a really good approach. So I think it's time to find a, a scientist friend of yeah. the learning sciences uh, and, and to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but is this all makes me think, go back to thinking about, you know, agile thinking and design thinking, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think one of the bigger problems is in higher ed is, is that we don't, we're, we're afraid of making mistakes that we're very risk averse. Yeah, I want to jump and on that. And so, but this is the time to make mistakes. You know, we yeah. all need, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have, you know, I mean, that's what the toggle term is all about. <laughs> that yeah. Brian Alexander talks about, you know, we started off face to face. We realized it was a mistake. We go back to, you know, online, you know, I I think it's okay. You know, I think we have to take a step back and say what's happening right now is okay. You Mm -hmm. know, we we don't have to be so stressed out. And I know, you know, there are parents and students complaining while I'm paying money for this. Well, guess what? You know, we're all in the same boat. You know, I I see my friends who are are online complaining about different universities and K through 12. I'm like, look, we're all in the same boat. We're all Mm -hmm. learning. And this is a huge, 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 this is the biggest learning experiment (laughs) since. I don't know when. Um, and we have to give each other grace to make mm-hmm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but even better than that, I think your point's even better than that, because I say this often, but I haven't really thought about this in the COVID context. This idea of this revisionist mindset, that an important role in teaching it to students is to model it to students. You know, yeah. if, if you say one thing, but you do another, they're not going to give you the respect. You know, they're just not going to respect what you're saying, basically. Mm -hmm. But if they see you, and so this is a great opportunity for us to say, you know, here's revisionist thinking, here's a growth mindset, here's why it's all important. And you're going to see it because I'm going to have to learn with you guys how to do this well. And I need feedback. That's that's the core of formative learning. And Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to try things and and they're going to be well-intentioned. 
I'm going to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then we're going to try it and we're going to see what happens. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes it's not going to work out well. And th those are very informative times. Th yeah. Those really will tell us where to go uh, and, and what we should do differently. And so, yeah, this idea of a big learning experiment together, mm -hmm. I think is a, is a potential opportunity of this. And, you know, we professors often don't want to show fallibility. We want to have this sort of aura of pure authority. It doesn't work well for us. And the moment we start to be human and we start to, you know, show and say, oh man, guys, I didn't think it would turn out that way. I'm sorry. Um, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to try to put the wheels back on the bus. And we have uh, wheels on the bus. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> and we ha I think we have the opportunity now, which is kind of strange, where we're not all super focused on grades now, mm -hmm. yeah. because we know, just as Terry says, this is this flux period. And, and if I have to give you all 10 out of 10 on that activity that blew up, um, be, you know, in, in a certain way, maybe we can deal with that now um, and, and get through this. And then two or three years from now, have a really good thing um, going that you guys all helped uh, inform. I actually, by the way, one of the projects my students are doing in my intro site class now is working with the government of our province uh, to ultimately pitch to them their ideas about what should be part of the future e-learning of the province. So they're mm -hmm. doing, they're learning all about this and, and they're going to make these pitches to the government. And so I think that's a cool you know, bringing students in on this process of, hey, if you don't think it was that good, yeah. let's let's be part of the solution, guys. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a that's a fun, empowering thing for students to do. Yeah, it, it reminds me, I always love the Nelson Mandela quote, uh, I never lose, I either win or learn, you know, yeah. and when you when you get something wrong, if it is more um, collaborative and problem based, less about me as the authority figuring this out and telling you the answer instead, that's an interesting problem. Let's talk about how we might solve that together. I think there's just a, a shift of mindset that, um, that I, I think does take some, frequently you need help to break out of yeah. what you're used to. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, and, it does. Yeah. Go Terry. Go. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, Taryn asked a question, how do you deal with student anger? Well, that's the way you deal with student anger is you say, you know, let me see if I, first you have to understand what the problem is. Because sometimes the student's angry, not because of something you did. They're just angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that brings me back to, you know, when, when you think about all the pressures on students and everything, a lot of times they get angry because they're frustrated. So, you know, my approach is, you know, please help me understand why you're, the first question I will ask is, please help me understand why you're angry. Right, right. <laughs> you know, because... Um, they may not understand why they're angry. And that's something really critical. I think, Steve, you can even expound on this. It's really critical to understand that a lot of times people are responding not to what just happened, mm -hmm. but to the multi-layer, you know, I have to remind my husband of this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, honey, I'm not really mad at you. I'm mad at everything else that's going on. And you're the person who's yeah. handy right now. Who <laughs> yeah, yeah. didn't put this glass away. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever it may be. Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think her, her suggestion is absolutely right. So I, I talk about that a little bit, that there's all these techniques to get your own anxiety level a little under control. But when it's somebody else's anxiety level where, where you feel it's out of control, the single best thing you can do is shut up and listen mm -hmm. and, and literally ask them, show them show them you want to understand so i really need to understand if i'm going to respond to you correctly so so let's really get to the bottom of how you're feeling and why you're feeling that what role my institution might have played and go from there and then what you do sometimes find is just as terry is saying it's really you know all this emotion that we're all feeling our fight and flee system is right there that's our more primitive limbic yeah. system that's kind of at the fore and it can just lash out when it finds an opportunity and then when you challenge that buddy that person to kind of unpack first of all you're asking them to use their frontal lobes you need your frontal lobes to do that so you're kind of doing the opposite of what covid's doing to them uh and then it, that'll calm them down and as they start to think it through they might realize okay this is really your part of what's going on right now and this does frustrate me a little bit but maybe maybe i'm overreacting a little bit and and maybe you can even talk about that part you know maybe mm -hmm. you can still say well perhaps but let's think about that part maybe we could have done something different or better yeah. And so that idea of listening and showing a willingness to, to at least consider changing your behavior is very powerful. People want to be heard uh, yeah. when, when they're feeling that way. And so yeah. just being willing to listen is very, very powerful. Another, would, another, another just quick dimension to ask is just teaching online. How do you get access to the emotional cues, you know, really from both your perspectives, but like you, 
you know, there's a lot of talk about whether, you know, I've actually seen people say that they want to require their students to be on camera. Mm -hmm. And like, and understand, like, again, from the empathy perspective, you understand why you would want that to be the case. But then also, you know, Terry's point about grace is, is, is I think, spot on too. Like, you don't always know why someone is not on camera. Yep. So I, I'd love to hear from both your perspectives, just like how things are changed, you know, particularly Steve, as someone who's been expert in e-learning, like, are there ways to pick up on those subtler feedback signals once you move online? Uh, and also I'd be concerned with the move online, who are we losing so that we're not even getting access to their feedback? But but any perspective on that, I, I think would be would be really interesting. Yeah. So, so one of the, I, I'm always a future skills kind of guy is, is sort of my um, go in mindset for a lot of things. So when I, I, I was horrified actually, to be honest, when we started doing online office hours and it was just, a, you know, those little characters with names <laughs> underneath them, I saw a sea of those. And I was like, oh, come on guys. Uh, but, but it took me a little while to kind of understand it. And there's, there's a million reasons why somebody might not want to be on camera, but I think a prime reason is they, they are used to living a life of distraction, of half attending. So if they can attend office hours and have it on, but be doing whatever, and but they don't want to be seen doing whatever, um, et cetera. And so what I say to them is, I take it more as an opportunity. I say, you've paid tuition to go to university and we're giving you opportunities to learn and grow in various ways. And in online office hours, you are getting an opportunity to do real-time human-to-human interaction, mm -hmm. uh, which includes the nonverbals. You guys probably see my hands floating around here every now and then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do a lot of that. Even though I'm Dutch, not Italian, people keep me into that. I know. Um, but, but all of these and laughing at the right time and all of this kind of stuff, this is what our world is now, right? This is the virtual world. This is how a lot of students are interviewed. And so I suggest to them, do you want your first experience with that to be your interview? You've got all these weekly opportunities. Twice a week, you can come hang out with me. Mm. And I encourage you to dress professionally, to turn your camera on, to use this as a practice episode, mm. to have this sort of interaction. But I also leave it completely and 100% up to you mm -hmm. uh, whether you want to do that or not. Uh, but just realize there's an opportunity for, for practice there if you want it. Uh, and so I kind of encourage certain behaviors, but I also, yeah, 100% want to understand. And I'll, I'll give you one example yesterday just from the empathy and how, so there was a student that logged on and she was in a hospital room with a, with a mask on, with a hospital room behind her. And you can't help but be curious, right? So like, oh, you're, you're logging in from a hospital. And, and there was about 40 students, I think at the office hours or maybe more 20 to 30 maybe. Um, but, but she revealed that her, her mother had just given birth to her new sister, but her mother had major surgery during the birth. The the child has jaundice. So they needed her the sister to stay with the child because the father mm. had had major surgery and you know, wow, suddenly you realize, I thought we were talking about one thing and, and this student is going through, mm. you know, forget just COVID, but two parents who have major health issues, a, a young sister with health issues and mm -hmm. she was still coming in to attend the office hours and ask questions, and, mm -hmm. which was impressive. But I think everybody on the call suddenly had a, I don't know, a humility check or, or some sort of check, a humanity check of some sort, I think. Yeah. 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 No, that, that, that's an incredible story. And, you know, I, I think that's something that um, we're all, I, I think, you know, we're all trying to juggle all these different inputs. You know, we know that our students are dealing with COVID. We know that our faculty are dealing with COVID. We, we know that there's issues for our, our faculty and students of color. Uh, we know there's issues. So anyway, I mean, I, I, again, it, it's a pile on, but um, I, I guess, you know, when I, when I think about empathy and, and practicing it and, and so on, I, I think that you're right. The, I think the modeling is, is really critical. Um, and so that for, you know, I, I talk about inclusive leadership because I think at the, from the very top, we need to be modeling the kinds of behaviors that we want to see. And that's why I'm really pushing, you know, if you have leaders out there, you know, join our radical empathy workshop, because I think it's really critical for us to understand what it means to be an inclusive leader um, mm -hmm. in this broader context. Yeah. Um, and so from a leadership perspective, I, I think we, we need to, you know, give our faculty some, some support and guidelines around these things, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, there's some of that going on, but I think we're still in the development phases of, of you know, how do we structure these things so that, you know, if the student isn't, uh, you know, on the video, how do we you know, assess what's going on with them? You know, yep. maybe there's, you know, chat 
things we can do. I mean, I think there, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things and, and we need to provide the tools uh, mm -hmm. to help the faculty do that. And, and sometimes just, you know, kind of getting back, because I, I realize I kind of went around your question a little bit, and I'm not doing enough of this myself. So you've got mm -hmm. kind of prompted this, but a little check-in with the students now and then maybe just, just to say, you know, a mm -hmm. quick little survey, anonymous survey of some sort, but how are you, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. What are you feeling? What are the stress levels? Mm -hmm. that, that kind of, like, we know from online learning, the biggest predictor of success in a course from a student perspective is what we call the presence of the instructor. And, and you can boil that down to, does it seem like they are there and they care? Yeah. Uh, if you're there and you care, then the student feels you know, part of your community and, and is more likely to engage in what you're doing. Uh, and, and it's worth every now and then literally walking that walk, you know, mm -hmm. saying I am here and, and I am curious, we're all going through a lot of stuff. How, how bad's your stress level right now? What are the sorts of levels at, at which it's at? And then maybe to reflect some of that in, in our lectures, just to acknowledge, you know, we're all in, in this in this tough situation. We're going through it, and we should stop every now and then and, and celebrate that we've gotten this far with each other. We're we're halfway through this. I don't know what we are through this, but but we're getting through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back yeah. to that, Steve, because I think we are in this for the long haul. You know, this yeah. I think we're going to be a year from now, we may be in the exact same boat, except with a vaccine that some people are getting. Mm -hmm. you know? And not, and we know that a lot of people won't take it. And I don't, we don't know what production is going to look like. So right. I think we need to be planning for this for a couple of years mm -hmm. um, at a minimum. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I, I think it comes back to, though, again, the idea of, you know, how are, I mean, the interactions and, and so on that are, are going to help people, uh, you know, adapt. Um, so I think, you know, we need to get out of emergency mode and into adaptation mode. Mm -hmm. um, and adaptation means, you know, taking a step back and taking some time, you know, we should really be taking this time and unfortunately means working, but mainly for the leaders to yeah. take a step back and start planning out um, okay, here's what, you know, looking at what worked and what didn't in the mm -hmm. last six months, yeah. looking at what can we do differently going into the spring that is mm -hmm. going to help our students and our faculty cope. Right. And you know, a bad example, I, I just thought of, you know, I, I know a faculty member who told his students at the beginning of the semester, I'm going to, this is going to be exactly the same grading and, and assign, you know, everything's going to be the same and I'm not going to give you any slack. And I'm just like, you know, excuse me? <laughs> just like, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, hello, we're in one of the most stressful periods uh, probably anybody has experienced, except for people who lived through World War II and, right. and all of that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I, I, I really, really, really hope, and, and we're happy to help in any way we can, it, that leaders and faculty are going to be able to take a breather over the, the, the break, but also step back and say, let's really reassess where we're at and what we need to do. And yeah, I see that happening all the time, but it's just, it's, it's on the, you know, they're having to make these really quick assessments and turn around and say, okay, you know, we're going to do, instead of that, we're going to do this. And that's fine too, but because we're in emergency mode, but really to try and, you know, relax the shoulders, take a deep breath yeah. and say, let's really seriously look at what we're, let's get feedback for, and, and the other thing I was going to mention though, is, you know, we, the, she talk about the surveys we had a situation with the school districts here where pe parents were getting these bombarded with surveys like yeah, every yeah, week. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. we have to be careful that we're not overdoing that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hundred yeah. yep, yep, percent. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, uh, so I know we're getting close to time. We got about uh, eight minutes left. Uh, and uh, I'd like to maybe get a little bit of uh, looking into your crystal ball, uh, Steve, uh, you know, cause I, I heard, uh, I think I heard either the word optimism or hope, uh, and I always seek those things out because uh, they're they're in short supply these days. So, yeah. what's driving some of your optimism, and uh, and then what kind of challenges are we going to have to overcome to kind of get to the better place that you're seeing uh, down the road? So, so I'd love to hear a little more from you on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, pre-COVID, I was one of these people saying, you know, the education system has to kind of rejig and retool and we have to focus more on skills and skills development, take much more formal approaches to developing and measuring them, making that part of. And, and so suddenly, you know, um, I think of the six million dollar man where, you know, he crashes and they say, but we can build him better than he was before. Yeah, there's there's a big part of me that thinks, yeah, you know, we've gotten hit hard. And it's affecting us and it's affecting our students, it's affecting our leaders, but it is an opportunity. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity to really reimagine 
who we want to be for the future um, university system. And our tradition has been so heavily heavy on us. You know, it's, it's almost like we're the Catholic church carrying all this weight of mm-hmm. previous decades. And it's kind of like that weight has been shed. Uh, and so I think there, there is opportunity in this moment for a, a lot of, inst- I think our, a lot, already a lot of instructors are much more open to new ideas and new innovation than they were pre-COVID, partly because they have to be, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot more leaders now see this as going to be a bigger part of their university going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to want to have a really strong online learning potential um, going forward. And so I, I do see great opportunity. I think there's been a lot of great people doing a lot of great work in that area for well over a decade now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a good time to learn about the science of learning. It's developed enough and there's enough really good research there that, that can guide thought processes, I think. But I think through everything we talked about, people like Terry and people in centers of teaching and learning are going to play a critical role in terms of just like the medical professions of COVID, of, of taking mm-hmm. data that's overwhelming for someone who isn't used to thinking about it at that level mm-hmm. and boiling it down to what does this person need to know to be effective in their classroom? Uh, and so just talking to them, what are your goals? What, you know, where do you want to go? And then once we know that, oh, here's some suggestions you could check out and keeping it digestible. It's, it's the old... Um, uh, notion of the zone of proximal development. Vygotsky. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, don't show a beginning guitar player, Jimi Hendrix, and say, there you go. That's what you got to do because you'll just ex- discourage the guy totally. Right. Um, show them somebody that's just a little better than them and just take them to that little point that they can reach. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's an art. And it's that art of empathy and emotional, you know, knowing where that person's at, feeling when you're overwhelming them. Uh, and, and I think those are the people in our profession who are, who are poised to do that. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a great overview. And, you know, as we're, we're wrapping up here, I, I think it's important to take a step back and, and, you know, I just, first of all, I want to say to everybody who's watching, whether you're on our podcast or Facebook or live, um, you know, we, we are thinking of you and, you know, we hope you're doing well and that, but, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of challenges ahead. And so we're, this is why we're here. Um, you know, we are here to, please feel free to ask us questions, send us questions. And, you know, we're going to be here weekly for, for uh, up and up to the holidays. And mm-hmm. um, if you have thoughts or ideas about uh, topics or issues you want us to, to check in on next week, we are very excited because we have Brandon Bastide coming to talk about the future of higher education. Um, and, you know, this this gets into exactly what we've been talking about is that, you know, we what is that, what are those next steps? What is what is that transition going? We're in the transition. We're in the, you know, it's hard to know what the transition is going to look like when you're right in the middle of it. But mm-hmm. I think what I would love to see is for us to be more intentional about the direction we're heading. And I think that's that's really critical going into, you know, the holidays as people have a break from teaching and so on is is intentionality. How do we want to go into the the spring semester? How do we want to go into the next year? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we want our students to be learning? And and you know, how can we adjust our learning so that students are really getting something, you know, exact what they really need out of it and you know what we have to tell you know, we have to be able to say what that is mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> we, we almost need like a manhattan project yes. around around yeah. you know e-learning or education more generally and, mm-hmm. and we're at this critical point where we have an enemy in our midst and, and how can yeah. we tackle that enemy yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean you, you were you were talking a bit about that steve too like you know like just like the coronavirus briefings like if there was a similar level of attention to the reimagination of of learning and we're getting access to experts who can help walk us through and give us courage and give us some vision. It does seem like a, you know, Terry talked a lot about leadership. It does seem like huge leadership opportunities uh, really up and down throughout the ecosystem, uh, whether you're you're working in a center for teacher and learning, you're you're an instructor, an adjunct, you know, you're you're a provost, you're a dean, you know, we need to rely on each other to sort of get that motivation to get back in there not burn out but uh but some huge opportunities uh on the on the horizon uh final final thoughts we have three minutes we got to chuck two and a half minutes worth of amazing content into the tail end here so so any uh, any parting thoughts high pressure You know, I, I I do so so right now I see a bunch of pockets and different places of people talking pedagogy. I, I would love to see, and I don't know how this happens, but I would love to see a more centralized 
single Let's talk pot. about that, Steve. All right, we'll talk We're about it. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I, think, I think that can be useful, um, mm -hmm. just to yeah. give people one place to go where it's clear messaging, you know, good presentations of ideas by people where they can get access to stuff in a non-intimidating way mm -hmm. and, and find things that work for them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we need some sort of platform or something like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Terry's well, going to build it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and maybe the Inklings will come out some Wednesdays at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Steve Jordans, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, amazing uh, stuff. Folks want to follow you. I think you're out there in the world, but uh, is there any recommendations if they want to track you down? Uh, I, I don't think very many people spell their last name like I do mine. So, <laughs> so, so I'm just so, steve.jordans at utoronto.ca, but you can find me. I'm all over the internet. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He got his, his Twitter and, and he's great on LinkedIn as well. So, so join us there, especially want to join in on some of these discussions about the future of higher ed. Yeah. And Terry, another fantastic job by you. Uh, thanks everybody for joining and uh, we'll be back again soon. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure, Mike. Thank you.